You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. You can open your Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to share a couple of other verses with you before that, and you can go there with me or you can um, hang out in 1 Peter until we get there. Uh, I want to start talking to you today about not becoming easy prey in your life, easy prey for the devil. Uh, and and I, I want to start out just reminding us that, and, I, and I, I, I just want to start here, I want to start in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, which a lot of you know by, yeah, a lot of you know by heart, you have it on your refrigerator and your mirror and your dashboard already, but it is a, it's a tremendous verse, and for some of you, it, it might be new, and it says this. It says, for I know, this is God speaking, okay? I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Uh, one translation, I think the Amplified says, plans not for disaster, Okay? Plans to give you a hope and a future. All right, so I know the plans I have for you. That word know is the Hebrew word yada. And it's, it's an intimate knowing. It's, it's that word. It relates to the uh, Greek word gnosko in the New Testament is the one that would be used to uh, identify the sexual intimate relationship within a marriage. I mean, it's that intimate of a word. And God's saying, I am intimately involved with the plans that I have for you. I am, he's that, it's not just something, it's, this is not a dusty plan on a shelf somewhere in God's big house, you know, that he doesn't know where it is. This is on his mind. And it says that those plans are for our good. And, and other translations, this term plans, it, it includes thoughts, the thoughts and the plans that I have toward you. They're for good. They are not for disaster. They are not to harm you. All of God's thoughts and plans toward us are for our good. And that says a lot about who he is, right? If we want to just take that and we just want to think about, okay, is, is this the understanding? Is this the God you grew up knowing? For some of you, the answer is yes, and I, I envy you. That's wonderful. The God that I grew up thinking I knew was harsh and, I mean, nobody would have said abusive, but abusive, um, just just anxious for the day when he could whack me upside the head, you know, that, that kind of a judge, judgment-oriented God was kind of what was presented to me growing up. And yet when you read the Bible, that's that's not the God that comes through. And particularly since Jesus is the exact image of the Father, he is perfect theology. He is where we look to see who the Father is. He is the exact image and representation of the Father. Then we understand this, this is a different person. This is a person who has good thoughts and good plans for us. It doesn't mean that some of those plans aren't challenging to us or that there isn't change required in our lives to walk in those plans. That's certainly true, but they're good. God's plan for you is good. And so 
Just that understanding tells us a lot about who he is and it can help us to trust him with that because most of us spend our our growing up years thinking about, and if you have good parents and they're helping you to think about, what are you going to do with your life? You know, we all have this inherent sense of purpose. I should have a purpose. We're really unhappy when we feel like we don't have a purpose. It's that's a because we're created for purpose, but we're created for God's purpose. But a lot of us don't know that growing up, so we grow up with this, I you know, this kind of search. And a lot of us, uh, you know, maybe we do it through through the school system. We do it through any number of things. What do you want to be when you grow up? You know, what do you what do you want your life to look like in ten years? I mean, there are all these things. They're inherent to us. We think about them. It's a good thing to think about them. But what would be good is to grow up knowing God has a plan for your life, and he actually designed you for that plan. And so it's going to be the most satisfying thing in the world for you to find that plan and let him help you walk in it. Then you can add whatever education or, you know, whatever's necessary to walk in that, mostly character traits, and then whatever else God would bring in to walk out that plan. And and that is a very satisfying, amazing way to live, let alone being very effective and purposeful and, and bringing kingdom realities into the earth and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, this verse is huge to think about, that God has a plan for my life and it's a good plan. And And no matter where you are in life, and I probably just need to say this, doesn't matter what your age is, this is still true, whether you've found and fulfilled or are fulfilling that or not yet, it's never too late with God, which is another awesome thing about God. He can begin, if we just give ourselves over to him, he can begin to fulfill his plan for our life. But it's it's not to harm us, it's to prosper us, it's to for our well-being. There, you know, I'd encourage you just to, even if this is the most familiar verse in the world to you, read it in a bunch of translations. Think about it this week. So we know that God has this great plan for our life. So another thing that we know is that we do have an enemy. We do have an adversary, the devil, who wants to prevent us from finding and fulfilling that plan. Okay, And the point of this uh, little series of teachings is we don't have to make that easy for him. All right, we don't, and, I, and I'll talk some about that. I mean, that's a very weak saying, way of saying that, but it's true. Sometimes we just make it, we just make ourselves such an easy target and prey for the devil, somebody that's just easy for him to, to stop us. And, and we don't have to do that. And I just want to go through some things in this series that'll help us with that. So another verse of scripture that we talk about a lot around here is John chapter 10, verse 10. All right, John chapter 10, verse 10, the Amplified Bible, it says, and again, this is one many of you can quote with me, the the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. And I, Jesus speaking, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Let me read that again. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. I've always said that verse draws a line right down the middle of life. It draws, 
uh, with that verse, we can understand any circumstance that comes into life, any activity in our life, a thought pattern in our life. Does it produce, does that thing, is it coming from and does it produce life and life more abundantly? Or does it come to steal, kill, and destroy in your life? And that tells you where it's coming from. The steal, kill, and destroy stuff never comes from God. And life and life more abundantly never comes from the devil. It's, it's, and, and there's theology that argues with that, but it's off. It's just wrong. God has a great plan for your life. It's for abundant life. It's for life till it overflows. And the word used there to describe life is the Greek word zoe. It's not just bios. It's not just, you know, physical, natural life. It is life as God has it. It's the same word that's used to describe God's life, the way that he lives it. That's what he has for us. And then there is a thief, Jesus says, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to try and prevent us from enjoying and having and fulfilling that life, all right? And, and so this is the layout in the scripture. We have an adversary. I think that we make, we give the devil way too much credit. A lot of us do. A lot of us, we, we do need to pay attention. That's what we're going to talk about. We do need to pay attention to what he's trying to do. And, and first of all, uh, you know, somebody would ask, you know, do you, do you think the, the devil is real or is that just an allegory? Is he just a symbol? No, he's not just a symbol. I believe what Jesus taught and the way that Jesus lived is right. Okay. I believe the Bible. The Bible always treats Satan as a real person. He is a fallen angel. He's a created being who fell and took a bunch of angels with him after a rebellion against God in heaven. And, and so he's a real being, but he is not on the same level as God. And that's where a lot of us make a mistake. We think that there's God and the devil, you know. It's not like that. There's God who created humanity, created angels as a different kind of being, who were actually originally created to serve the heirs of salvation, to serve you and I. They're a different kind of being. They are a created being, and some of them fell, and their leader is called Satan, okay? He's a created being. He's not in God's league. He's not in God's category. He doesn't have God's power. But what he does and what he's pretty good at is deceiving human beings. He is our adversary, and we're going to learn what that means. He is our enemy, and we need to understand that. But as we understand that and as we resist him, don't, I think one of the lies that he tells is that he's much more powerful than he is. You, as a Christian, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, Understand today, and, and I don't have time to go into this very far today. We've taught on it many times in the past. You have been given authority in the name of Jesus and through the word of God over all the power of the devil. It says this over and over and over. Jesus sent us into the earth with the commission that he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and therefore you go. He, the scripture tells us that Jesus came to undo, untie, remove the works of the devil. He told us that he has given us all authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. It goes on and on and on. And I didn't learn that. I never knew that. I didn't know I had authority over the devil. I never knew that in my 
Christian life and Christian walk until I started going to a church that taught it and showed me it from the scriptures. And I learned that, oh, I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to just let him come in and steal, kill, and destroy in my life. I was taught a very passive idea of, uh, I don't know if I was taught anything about it, honestly, but I had, I had picked up from kind of mainstream Christianity that there was this idea that anything that came into my life somehow came through the will of God and that it was, it was somehow I had to, uh, uh, people will misuse Romans 8.28, which says that all things work together for good for those who love God. You know that verse, but they'll use that to develop this passive theology that, so that means anything that comes is, is from God's hand. It's going to work out good. And so I'm just supposed to sit back and enjoy it and thank God and worship God in it. And, and this, is, this is not what the Bible teaches us. I mean, there's, there's some measure of, there is a place absolutely for worshiping God and honoring him on our worst day. Absolutely, that's an honorable thing. But we need to understand in it that God is not the author of all those things that are contrary to what Jesus did at the cross. And that we do have an enemy. And honestly, we need, it's not just for us, we need to resist him and put him down and take authority over him for other people. Who's going to do it? This is not his community. This is not his town. This is not his valley. This is the Lord Jesus Christ town and valley. And those people out there, Jesus died and shed his blood for them. And we know that. We're the church. We're set here to take that authority and make life better, not just for us, but for other people. Don't put up with the devil stealing, killing, and destroying from your friends and your family and your co-workers and all those. They don't know any better. They don't know to deal with the spiritual atmosphere over their lives, but we do. And I believe we're going to give an account for it. This is our place. This is our ground. We are here. It is our ground. If you're, you know, you may not spend the rest of your life here. You may not be buried in the Gunnison Valley. I think I will be unless I go to heaven first. Uh, you know, with Jesus coming and all of us. Yeah. I'll probably go to heaven before I'm buried. But maybe that's not you. I don't care. You're here now. So pitch in. Take authority over the devil. Stop him from messing with your boss and your, you know. Anyway. Okay, you get the picture. You get the picture. So God's got a great plan for our life. We have an enemy that wants to stop it. Okay, so now 1 Peter chapter 5. All right, let's get over there. You guys stop slowing me down. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. All right, we're going to start here today. Again, the, the idea, the, the title of this is Don't Become Easy Prey. Don't become easy prey. I don't know if this is a great place or not, but I'll just share this. The picture that's been coming up in me, when I was about, I was probably around 21 or so. And uh, so this was BK before Karen. And I was living over in Paonia, and we had a friend of mine and I, it was fall, the trees, it was a great fall, the trees were just lit up. And, and we went over backpacking for a week or so over in the Powderhorn. It wasn't a wilderness area then, but anyway, over in, East Fork of the Powderhorn. We were up there living on trout and doing a lot of other stuff. But anyway, we were up there. And um, so, so there were some uh, spruce grouse 
that were hanging out there. And we'd been eating fish for several days. And I decided some spruce grouse would be good. And uh, so I had my brother's uh, 357 Magnum with about, with about a three or four inch barrel on it, which those grouse were totally safe. If you're, you know, if you're not a hunter, they had no worries, believe me. But but these grouse, I mean, they're right, you could walk right up to them. They're sitting in the tree. They just sit there and look at you. And I mean, I, I was able to just take a, a full rest on a branch, you know, and line this grouse up and, uh, and fire. And of course, this thing, you know, boom, you know, 357 mag. Missed, I don't think I even came close to the grouse. I got two shots, but, you know, I was like... I'd have had to have it right against his head, and I might have still missed. So good with a pistol. But but anyway, it just sat there. You know, it just sat there. It still didn't fly. Looked happy and friendly, you know. Still didn't fly. Two shots, and I gave up. But But it was just, you know, talk about easy prey. You know, just not paying attention to life, not understanding what's going on, you know, and, and just sitting there. Not easy enough for me to have a meal, but still easy prey. And I compare that to when I was a kid, um, we used to hunt antelope sometimes. And I mean, you know, you needed to be able to make a 400-yard shot because those things were they were going to see you and be gone before you ever got near. They were not easy prey. They were very aware. I mean, they're set up for it. The way their eyes are and everything, if you've ever studied any of that, they are set up to see motion this huge distance away. And they always have a lookout. They always have one guy standing up on top of the hill that tells the rest of the herd to flee, you know? So, we don't need to be easy prey. So this verse, I'm sure that story went over just really well with some of you, but anyway, it's the best I can do, okay? It was a story. Give me some credit. So so 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Amplified Bible, it says, be sober, okay? Well-balanced and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious like an antelope. It doesn't say that here, actually. But it says, be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Be firm in your faith against his attack. Rooted, established, immovable, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. All right, I want to deal with that last sentence. First of all, um, the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. Peter's writing to a church under tremendous persecution. And that's what he's talking about. And know this, we are never called, because people like to talk about suffering, okay? What, you know, this is saying, okay, everybody's going to suffer. Number one, that word suffering primarily means to experience something and certainly to experience something negative. But we are never called to suffer the things that Jesus suffered for us on the cross. All right? Did you get that? We're never called to suffer the things that Jesus suffered for us on the cross. For example, 
He took, the scripture says, our sickness and our disease. God doesn't, it's, this is not saying, look, everybody's going to be sick, so just put up with it. That's not what it's saying, okay? Jesus took our sickness and diseases as our substitute, as a part of his redemptive work on the cross. He carried that for us so that we could be healed, the scripture says. The scripture says that he became poor that we might become wealthy, okay? Doesn't always mean rich financially, but he took poverty because God's never, his will was never poverty for us. He took it as a part of his redemptive work. He took our sin and the effect of it. He took those things. So we're not called to just sit and passively receive those. This is talking about persecution and other passages that are similar are talking about if we're going to live a godly life, it says you will experience persecution. You will experience resistance from the devil and from people. You will experience that, and that's what they were experiencing. So I just want to get that out there so that nobody hangs on that. But the instruction that he gives us, he says, first of all, be sober. And that means don't be impaired in your thinking. Probably several of us in here have been not sober at some time in our lives, okay? And so when you're in a drunken condition or an impaired condition, if you're doing drugs, if you're drinking alcohol, if you're doing whatever like that, um, our thinking, you understand this, our perception is impaired. That's why we don't drive. That's why we don't make big decisions in that condition. That's why we don't, you know, it's, it's not a good time to decide to marry someone, okay? Uh, because our thinking, our perception is impaired. And he's saying, don't be in that condition, which tells me if God's telling us don't be in that condition, it means I don't have to be in that condition. And it's not just talking about that natural impairment. It's talking about a spiritual thing here. Don't, be, don't have your thinking about God, about life, about what the devil does and what God does. Don't be theologically impaired. Don't be impaired, all right? You, you need to have a, a spiritual, a Holy Spirit-led perception of life around you. It goes on, it says, be alert and cautious. That doesn't mean be fearful. It doesn't mean live in fear, but it does mean be aware that there are things around you. You have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. Be aware for yourself, for your family, for your community, be aware. And cautious there means it's, it's that awareness that you carry, that there can be dangers out there. So you're not just going to be, it means don't be asleep. Don't, be, don't just drift through life asleep and unaware of what is going on around you. Don't be unaware of the true nature of some of the thoughts and ideas and feelings that come up on the inside of you. Be spiritually aware. Let the Holy Spirit be listening to you. I think about this in terms of you know, riding a motorcycle, one of the things I like about it is, is this awareness that you have to carry. It's not a fear. In fact, I'm actually, I get very relaxed. I, I you know, riding relaxes me. It's a, but part of it is that you, you sort of shut out a lot of things to be really focused on what you're doing because it is dangerous. So, it, so you have to, it's not, some people, you know, they used to do this, I used to fly hand gliders too, and people thought, oh, you're a thrill junkie. You're an adrenaline junkie. I never was. I never, I'm not. I, I'm not, I'm not into that. I know some people are, but that's not the point. But I do like situations that make me focus and be aware and, and, and stay aware. 
of, of things around me as I pass through. I like that. And that's kind of what it's talking about is, is carrying this sense of awareness in your life. And it's um, from the Greek, it means be continuously, continuously aware and watching for dangers to be avoided or overcome. Okay, so there are things out there that we need to be continually aware of. All right, and it says that the devil is out there. He's like a roaring lion. Doesn't say he is a roaring lion. There's one lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's, that's how he acts, is like a roaring lion. And he's looking for somebody to devour. He's seeking, he's looking, he's, he's poking, you know, to see, are you somebody I can devour? And that tells me I don't have to be somebody he can devour. I do not have to be easy prey for him. I don't have to just sit on the branch while he fires bullets past my head. I don't have to sit like that. I can be aware. I don't have to be this way. And, and you, you know, I've taught on this before, and I know you've seen this before, but, you know, if you watch the wildlife shows, it, it is, it's really interesting. That is how lions hunt. They stay outside where, where they can't really be seen. They're in the tall grass. And one of them or more, will, they'll start roaring. They start making a lot of noise to get the little critters stirred up and running around in a panic to see who looks weak, who looks wounded, who looks, who's the little dummy off by themselves that got offended with the rest of the group. So they've set themselves over here and that's the one they'll go after. And, they, and this roaring, they're making a lot of noise. They aren't biting. They're making noise, and the devil will do that. He'll make a lot of noise. He'll threaten. He'll keep you awake at night. He'll bring anxiety. He'll lie to you. He'll throw things at you. He'll give you a terrible picture of your future that totally disagrees with Jeremiah 29, 11. And in that place, we need to learn that to recognize what that is and to bring those thoughts under the authority of Jesus Christ and his word. Okay, but this is, this is how... He functions. And so the scripture then tells us, it tells us, resist him, right? It's, it goes on. Did we read that part? It goes on and it says, yeah, but resist him. Be firm in your faith against his attack, rooted, established, immovable, knowing that these same experiences are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. So be, resist him. Stand firm in your confidence in God. That, that terminology, resist him right there from the Greek, it means to stand up in opposition to. To stand up in opposition to. We don't just lay down. We don't pretend it's not going on. We stand up in opposition to him. We do that in prayer. We do that with the name of Jesus. We do that by getting brothers and sisters to pray and agree with us. We speak the word, we speak, we vocally take authority over what he, his strategies that he's trying to work against us, against our church, our community, whatever. We take authority over the devil, okay? We stand up in opposition to him. If this word means to hinder the progress of another. So we're going to stop him. We're going to hinder his progress. We're not going to let him just do whatever he wants to do. It means to be firm, it means to be steadfast. It means to be secure in your position, to be secure in who you are in Christ, to be secure in what the scripture says about you, to be secure in your position. All right. It means to be unchanging and immovable. 
All right, that means you're not easy to deceive, you're not easy to bully, you're not easy to manipulate. Because, here's the truth, the devil doesn't have any legal authority to work in your life until we give him that authority through either believing a lie or probably still through believing a lie, begin to function in some aspect of his nature instead of Christ's nature, okay? But his main tool is deception. He's going to lie to you about who you are. He's going to lie to you about what God, who God is and what God has for you. He's going to lie to you about your future. He's going to lie to you about what other people think of you. He's going to lie to you, lie to you, lie to you, trying to get you to believe those lies over what the Scripture says about you and who Jesus has made you to be. He's going to lie to you. And when you believe that lie, you empower the liar, right? You give him some of your authority, and he can begin to function and work in your life. So he's going to try to deceive. He's going to try and bully. Bullies are cowards, but they push, they push, they push. They need a good punch in the throat. Uh, they're, they're cowards, and he's going to try to manipulate He's going to go behind the scenes. He's going to work on other people. He's going to try to manipulate things because honestly, all authority has been given to you and Jesus stripped him of power. And we live in this weird time between the cross when de the devil was defeated and the time Jesus comes again where he's eliminated, okay? And so then Jesus left the church in the earth to act as an enforcing army to, to release and enforce the victory that he already won at the cross. And that's the time in which we live. So, so we have a role in all of this, okay? So I, I want to jump over. I've got some more things to talk to you about that, but I think I'm going to uh, wait till next week. I really want to get to this. Peter goes through a lot of information here, and I want to look at verse 5. I think we have time just to finish this today. He goes through a lot of instruction. We've looked at some of it there, uh, verses uh, 5 through 8. Is this, is this? Yeah, 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 sorry. We, in verses 8 and 9, we looked at some of it. I thought maybe I'd put down the wrong reference here, but 1 Peter 5, 5. And, and this is just one of the instructions he gives, and I feel like we need to hear this today, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and bring it out. It says, this is the New International Version, it says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And, and just wait, because it, this is a very actually a very broad application uh, to this statement. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, there are a lot of things there. But, but let me just say this, and we can look at it more next week. Peter starts out this letter, and well, this chapter of this letter. And he starts talking to church leadership at the very beginning. And he actually, even though he's an apostle, he brings himself on the same level with them, said, hey, we're all, uh, we're all in this together. We're all fighting the same fight. And he gives instruction uh, to leaders on how to live. And there are principles within those instructions that are true for all of us. And then he comes down here and he begins to take those same principles that he's been talking about for several verses there. And he begins to broaden them to all of you all of us. Okay, so these things apply to all of us. And so he says, young men, in the same way, referring back to some of the attitudes that he just laid out in, in these verses that we don't have time to look at this morning, says, in this same way, be submissive to those who are older and 
all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Okay, so here's here's the point. This term uh, young man, or some of the translations say younger ones, okay, it doesn't just mean young in age. Okay, he says younger ones, this is this is how the Greek kind of reads, willingly submit to or support the leadership of elders or older ones. Okay, you get you got that. All right. This term young, listen to this. Here's what this term young means. It refers to the fervent or even frantic activity of youth. Okay, fervent or frantic activity of youth. And here's what it can refer to. This term young can refer to age. Okay, younger and older people can refer to that. It often refers to spiritual maturity someone who's more mature than, than I am in the Lord, is somebody that I need to be willing to, to support and, and listen to sub, in humility, submit myself to and draw from. Does that make sense? Spiritual maturity. Or it also refers to one who lacking the spiritual insight that comes along with a gift or an office or a calling, okay, lacking a person, a young one would be somebody who lacks a grace gift, a spiritual insight that is attached to a position that God has called somebody into. I'll give you examples of this, okay? When God calls us to do or to be something, there is an equipping and an enabling, and an empowering that goes along with that. And this is true across all of life. And this term is often used to describe a situation where you have a different calling than I do. And so there are certain graces on your life that I, in humility, can draw from when I just recognize that's your position. And you have a grace there that I don't have. This is true for everybody. Okay, we, we see this in the various offices in the body. The evangelist has a completely different, we call it an anointing, working of the spirit within. It, they have a completely different anointing than a pastor does. And yet both of those people, the evangelist and the pastor, they're both called to win the lost. But the evangelist has a special equipping for that. And they have a special spiritual insight into what God is doing and the needs of people and how to reach people pastor has a special equipping to uh, lead, feed, and protect, you know, to, to do that role. And yet the evangelist is also called to love people and to take care of people. But there's an equipping and an anointing in one that's not in the other. And so as we recognize that in one another, we can draw from it. And we can draw upon a grace that's not ours through humility. We make ourselves easy prey when we do not recognize and draw upon the grace that we find in various people around us. Here's another example, parents. Being a parent, being a mother or a father is a role that God gives you. And there is an equipping that goes along with it. There is a grace to be a parent. You have a grace for your children that nobody else has. You have a mandate for your children to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's not the children's church's mandate. That's your mandate. 
we have a role to come alongside you, but that's not the church's mandate. And when you confuse that and you start thinking it's the church's fault that my kid went off the rails, you're making a big mistake because not only is that not true, you're believing a lie, but you are not uh, drawing on the grace that God would give you as a parent. We have some friends that we've known for many, many, many years. They live out in Georgia now that they pastored a church for a while and did different things. They've done a lot of missions work. Just good people, good just Christian people. And their kids who are now grown and having kids would always say, we can't get away with anything because mom knows. The Holy Spirit tells her what we're doing. And this wasn't just mom told them that and so scared them and so they... No, no, no. They could give you specific instances where they came home and mom knew. She knew, sometimes she knew everything. <laughs> sometimes she just knew you weren't where you said you were. But she knew there was a grace in her to parent those kids. And they knew it and they still say it. Mom knew, you know, and, and they just knew we can't get away with anything because the Holy Spirit tells her. That's because mom knew that she was called by God to be that mother. See, so I don't have that grace for your kids. I have grace as a pastor to have a role maybe, but I don't have that grace for your kids. You have that grace for your kids. So we make ourselves vulnerable and make ourselves easy prey when we don't live in humility toward one another or when we want to have a grace and a position that God hasn't called us to. We, we get ourselves kind of out of a place of, of hearing and flowing and, and, and being a body where we have these differences and we flow together. I believe this is true of you as employees and employers. I think any realm where God has given you influence and a, a level of authority, there's a grace that goes along with that. There is an enabling. And so when Peter says here, young ones, you know, uh, in the same way, submit yourself to those who are older, it does mean young and old. It does mean spiritual maturity and not as mature. It, it includes all of those things. But it also is this thing of recognizing one another. What's that person? Where is God's grace flown in that person? And draw on that. Put yourself, humility means I humble myself. I set myself in a position to receive something that that person has to offer. We can all do that with one another, every one of us. And we are stronger when we do, and we thwart the devil when we do. We thwart his strategies when we do this. I wish I had time to finish this today, and I, and I don't, but we will come back to it because there's a lot more to say there. We need to understand about humility. We need to understand about uh, taking, taking a lower seat in order to receive from God or from somebody else and just yielding to the grace that's in one another. And I, I've, got, I've got to bring this out. I just have to. And I know I'm going. So we've got something going on on the inside of us here lately that Karen and I have been talking about. And this is, this is partially how this applies. Every time there's a move of God, a move of the Holy Spirit coming, there is a stirring up that we start to sense. I don't mean we, I mean all of us. We start to sense it. We start to pray a certain direction. We start to have a desire from God's heart working in a certain direction that, wow, God, I mean, he always wants to reach the lost, but there's something coming where he really wants to be. 
he really is going to move to reach the lost. And we'll start, if we're sensitive to it, and we're realizing that we'll start praying for the lost, or we'll start praying for people's healing, or, or whatever it might be. And, and so that stirring starts to happen, and we can sense it by the Spirit. But what happens a lot of times is if we are less mature, okay, because remember it was the fervent or frantic activity of youth, fervent or frantic activity of the young or the immature, we can all do that too. And so sometimes when there's this sense that God's about to move, we feel the stirring and we can get really impatient if we don't handle that with maturity. We can, we can I, I want it now. We want that now. And you know what? It's, it's God that wants this, so I must be right. And I can get really impatient and I can say, I want this now. I want to see it now. I want to know how it's going to happen. What are you doing about it? And we can get in offense. We can isolate ourselves. We can get out ahead of God. We can make all kinds of mistakes in those times to kind of get out of that flow and timing of when the Spirit of God's bringing something about. And there's an aspect of maturity that's not lax, but it is patient. And it is able to wait and, and just incubate and pray and intercede and see, God, what's going on and where are you going? We have a sense of hope about 2019 that is unusual is all I can say about it. And we were talking about it the other day. It's like, even in really negative circumstances and hurtful stuff, I can't get rid of this hope. I keep trying. You know, I, I can't get rid of this sense of God's got something right around the corner. And you know, if you've been here any length of time, I don't, I don't say that at the end of every year. I don't throw that out. Oh, God's got, you know, and I, I just, I don't do that. But man, we've been talking about this and there's just this stirring on the inside about the next year. God's got some things. So I just want to add this to what we taught today and say, please don't get displaced right now because we see it happen every time there's a stirring people get agitated people get i need to move i need to go oh it's happening over there i'm going over there pray intercede let god develop whatever this is and i honestly don't know exactly what direction it's going to take but god's got something and i'm praying i believe it's it's for our valley i'm sure it's bigger than that but i believe it includes our valley i complete it includes us as a church as individuals families you know it's always broad but it's just stirring up and it won't go away which is a good thing so i just encourage you if you're feeling that agitation that impatience that it's got to happen like this got to do that da, 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 da. be really careful with that be really careful it's great to be fervent it's not good to be impatient, okay? It's great to be fervent, but we've got to add patience to it to bring about through faith and patience, right? We bring about what God has. Does that make sense to you? All right, let's stand up and pray together this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, I just pray that in all of this, Father, that we could discern the things that you are speaking to our hearts in all the things we talked about this morning, Lord, we would be able to discern those specific things that you are saying to us as individuals and certainly those things that you are saying to us as a group. And Father, we choose, Lord, to keep our focus on you, to be alert, Lord, to be cautious, to be sober, Father, to be vigilant. 
Lord, to set ourselves in that immovable place before you so that, Father, we can liberate, we can bring liberty to captives all around our area, around our town, around our region, around in our families, Father, as we travel. Lord, we, we thank you for that. And we ask you to continue to speak and develop your plans for our individual lives, for our families, for our church. Father, Just we just ask you to continue to develop and show us the way in all of this. And I thank you, Father, that as we look to these things, we become less and less and less easy prey for the devil. And I thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Okay, did you get anything out of that today? Amen. All right, so we're going to be dismissed. And we're going to say on the count of three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. If you need personal prayer, we'll be here to pray for you. And otherwise, go out there and eat all the good stuff that Jeff brought today. So I don't have to. All right, on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. You guys go out and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.